Hello, sweet souls. If you know it, say the rebel reclamation with us. We have the right to fully embody life in connection with nature and her cycles. We empower ourselves and others without apology or harm, aware and in awe of our united potential. We welcome the light and the shadow, knowing that the source of both is one singular divine power. With the wisdom of our ancestors and the hope of our future descendants, we lean into the unknown with grace. We release that which no longer serves us and we manifest that which does. We make our own rules and then sometimes we break them. We are radical and wild. I am your red sister, Sarah. This is your dark sister, Sam. Our special guest this week is the magus with the most, Julian. And we are rebel women with teacups. Rebel people with teacups. That's right. <laughs> That's right. We're all, we're all here. I love it. Hello. Good morning. How is everyone? Good morning. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Julian, how are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, we were supposed to get a bunch of snow and it turned out to be nothing, which was great. <laughs> so I didn't have to shovel a driveway. <laughs> <laughs> that is always a plus, isn't it? <laughs> Beautiful. Well, this is a special edition of our Rebel Women with Teacups. We have one of our facilitators at the temple here with us today to talk about all of the yummy goodness. And he has a lot to bring to the table this year. <laughs> And uh, so the way that we start our interviews, instead of doing an individual tea review, we all just have our own cuppas and it can be anything that you want. So uh, Julian, what do you have today? And if you want to talk about your cup as well, you can. Awesome. So I actually still have coffee because it's 10 a.m. And you know <laughs> I'm still working my way through the first pot of the day. So but I'm drinking it from a handmade pottery mug that it's it's a really cute blue mug. And it's got a really nicely sculpted serpent wrapped around it and mm -hmm. forming the handle. And this was made by Sweetwater Pottery. I think they're from Missouri. And I bought it off of her website, but I actually have other pieces of her pottery that I bought from her personally way back in the day in the early 2000s when Pagan Spirit Gathering, one of the largest pagan festivals in the country, was still being held in Ohio. And mm. so she used to be a vendor there and I bought a lot of her products. So yeah. Beautiful. If you if you have space to send us a picture of it, we would love to put it on the gram. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I will send yeah. you a photo. Perfect. Sam, what do you got? So I am drinking my tried and true favorite functional PG tips, which is <laughs> just, just black tea. Are you familiar with it, Julian? It's supposed to be like big um, in. Yes, I'm quite okay. familiar. Because <laughs> it's kind of hard to find here. There's only like one grocery store that has it, but it's, I prefer it over all other black teas. Oh, you know, you can usually find it in Indian markets because of it being a British tea. Oh, I had no idea. Okay. You go good there often, Sam. So that is good I do. <laughs> Rice is cheaper. Beans are cheaper. Seasonings are cheaper. And now I can get my tea there. Perfect. Oh my gosh. I didn't know that. So I think I'm going to shift where I purchase those things. Yeah. It's crazy. You can get like half a pound of cinnamon for like $4. It's bananas. Shut up. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's what we do too. We buy all of our spices there and, and we buy the raw, um, unsalted peanuts that we put out for our crows <laughs> so. oh yeah your crows your little murder of crows. your murder 
Beautiful. Sam, do you have a special mug or anything in particular that you're No, I just went with okay. function. I was running a little bit late this morning. So I, I have a giant thermos full of hot tea. And then I have like a little like average, yeah. I guess it's, it's little to me, but it's just an average size mug from the thrift store. Perfect. What are you drinking? I am a mint bitch as we have established well in the past of this podcast. So I'm just drinking a peppermint tea. I think it was from Stash. One of my students, my former students, she quote unquote graduated from working with me, uh, at least through the embodiment of pleasure. And so she sent me the most kind and lovely and stuffed full box of goodies of just like sweet things that that she wanted to gift me and she gives me some tea. And so I'm drinking it. Her name is Genevieve and I love her. And, um, and I just got my owl mug. Cause you know, I like my big mugs when it comes yeah. to just standard peppermint tea. So yeah. So that's what we're drinking today. Thanks. Perfect. Perfect. So Sam, okay. do you want to introduce our special guest? Yeah. Let me tell you about Julian. He is a certified spiritual life coach and a human design specialist. He's the owner of Priest of Inanna LLC and the facilitator of the Wild Spirit Festival. Julian is a tarot reader, ritualist, witch, and occultist. As a practicing witch for over 32 years, Julian first found himself called to lead circles when he founded the first ever pagan student group at the University of New Mexico in 1988. Since then, Julian spent eight years as the co-coordinator of Rainbow Camp, the LGBTQ plus camp at Pagan Spirit Gatherings. And in 2002, he co-founded the Between the Worlds Men's Gathering with Michael Lloyd and co-facilitated it for 10 years. He founded and facilitated the, I don't know this word, Kofnia Gathering. Did I say that right? It's Kafnia, yeah. Kafnia <laughs> Gathering for Gay and by Men for four years following that. Today, he's the founder and facilitator of the Wild Spirit Festival. Julian is a certified yoga instructor, initiate in two esoteric orders, and has practiced various styles of witchcraft. Julian blends storytelling, ritual, art, movement, and human design into his work. His mission is to teach and guide others in living a spiritually aligned life that answers their unique calling. To that end, Julian teaches classes on meditation, witchcraft, magic, the Cult, tarot, and more. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> you have an extremely varied past. Like I the story, I tell you all the time that you need to write a book because you just have <laughs> stories on top of stories. And so I would like to jump back, like really far back, and get to know the root of what brought you to the spiritual work that you do now like what was what is the origin of what brought you here oh that's a really interesting question because I actually just dropped a podcast for my queer spirituality um, website yesterday where I talked about how I came to goddess spirituality and it really came from growing up gay um, I had a, a shitty relationship with my father. He was very um, left-brained, very reserved, very unemotional. He was very absent because he was a workaholic, so he wasn't around a lot. But when he was, we had a really bad relationship because I was a very sensitive, emotional child. And my father saw that as being more like my mother. And because they had a strained relationship as well, I, a lot of his frustration with her got taken out on me. So we just had such a terrible relationship with him. He was also very racist and very homophobic and, and still is. I think he voted for Trump. No, no surprise. Um and so the idea of a heavenly father, when my, mm. you know, my parents decided to go to church when I was in my teens, when I was a senior in high school, I'd never grown up in church. My parents weren't religious. 
my mother told me that God could be seen in nature in growing mm -hmm. the miracle of like the way things grow and of mm -hmm. wildlife and animals. And so I always had kind of a, a love for nature. And so in my senior year of high school, my dad decided to go to church because it was good for his image as a businessman. Mm. And I had some really serious trauma from the church. Um, you know, my dad made me go. I absolutely hated it. I was a, a punker and a new waiver at the time and did not want <laughs> anything to do with it. But my dad made me go and I had just some really bad experiences with the people in the church. And at one point, the youth minister basically told me I wasn't welcome in the youth group because mm. I had a demon of homosexuality, as he said. And just this idea of, you know, the hypocrisy that I saw in the church and the fact that the idea of a heavenly father didn't like speak to me because I had such mm. a bad relationship with my earthly father. Mm. So a friend let me a copy of Wicca Book for the Solitary Practitioner by Scott Cunningham, who also happens to be queer. And Scott Cunningham writes so lovingly and poetically about Wicca and about the goddess and about the connection to nature and really breaks down that there's no dualism in Wicca. The goddess is both creative and destructive, just like nature is. Mm -hmm. And since I also saw that people were that way, it just really spoke to me. And my mother and I had always had a great relationship. We were, you know, she was my best friend all the way up until her death in 2013. And so I could relate more to a mother goddess mm. than I could a father god. And that's really mm. what led me to Wicca and witchcraft. And then, you know, just I, I sort of got thrust into leadership as a shy, awkward introvert in like the early 2000s. And as a result of that, I just really felt called to continue working deeper in this work. Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that because that is a very yeah. vulnerable story to share. So thank you for doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the leadership that you were thrust into, was that the pagan student group that you started leading or was that something else? So this, the pagan student group I started leading was, it was a short lived thing and there were, you know, a group of us. So it, it felt safe to me because there was a group of friends that we did it with. And so I wasn't like the leader. I was more of one of the leaders. So it was when I started going to pagan spirit gathering and we started the Michael and I started the between the worlds festival that I really got like pushed into the leadership part where I was really in the spotlight and I had to talk in front of groups of people and resolve conflicts between people and do all of these things. And it really developed my skills as a leader, but it also really got me out of my box and out of my comfort zone because I had always been really shy and introverted. So, mm -hmm. which is hard to believe for people who know me now. <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. So you are, go ahead. I was just going to say, so in terms of how, how you practice and what you like to offer now, like what, what makes you feel the most expansive? What's your favorite thing to lean into? Cause you've yeah. done so many things. You've been initiated in more than one path. You've dabbled in lots and yeah. lots of things. So where's Great your question? Heart? Where's your heart now? So, you know, I'm a manifesting generator is my human design type, which means that I'm very multi-passionate. Manifesting generators have lots of interests and they kind of pick things up and drop them and revisit them. And, and that's kind of how they move through life. And I've done a lot of the same. 
I would say the most expansive work for me is, is teaching. You know, I am a certified spiritual coach and I love doing coaching and I love working on, with people one-on-one, but the thing that really like lights me up is teaching and sharing all of the ex- life experience that I've acquired and the things that I've learned with other people and really seeing like that light bulb go off when you're teaching someone and suddenly they get it and it clicks for them. That's really an exciting moment for me. Mm-hmm. I have to agree. I have to agree. That is a great <laughs> moment. So going just a little bit deeper, because we've experienced many circles with you and inside those circles, you do talk about, uh, you know, God is the mother and God, the father, how have you been able to heal the relationship with the face of how you see God, the father? That's a wonderful question. And it really came from the work that I did with queer men. Um, mm. I Michael Lloyd, who wrote the wrote the a biography of the founder of the Minoan Brotherhood, which is an I call it an offshoot of Gardnerianism. I mean, it really isn't an, strictly an offshoot, but it's a it's a initiatory witchcraft tradition that only initiates gain by men based on sort of Minoan and Greek culture. And I was initiated in that tradition. And really through seeing a different aspect of the God who was both queer and also loving and sensual and all of those things really allowed me to have a very different relationship with the God. And I also think that being around older queer men who sort of were mentors and role models to me, like Michael Lloyd, like um, my friend Doug that I talked about on my Queer Spirituality blog, that I met in art school at the University of New Mexico, seeing some of those older queer men who really had sort of a fatherly aspect to them really allowed me to see that like not everyone is like my father and it really allowed me to see it. I also think that my exploration of the God in Wicca has really lended more towards the wildness of the God, you know, seeing him as the bull of heaven and this sort of wild and very sensual creature. Um, has really sort of just changed my image of the God. And even though I talk about God the Father in some of the circles that I lead, it's not really like the Father aspect isn't really the image that I have of the God. I see the the God more as a brother or Ken. I remember you had described, um, uh, is it the Kabbalah where there's the Father, the um, uh, the Father, the Mother, and then the Child? Yeah, that comes from Kabbalah, and it also comes from Thelema, which is um, the name for Aleister Crowley's beliefs based off of the channeled book of the law. And so in the Crowley sort of cosmos, cosmology, their human history has gone through three eras of time, which each era being roughly 3,600 years and and correlating with the progression of the equinoxes through the... um, through the astrological belt. So, you know, the age of Aquarius, as we talk about, versus the age of Pisces or even earlier. Um, And so Crowley sort of saw human history as the first era being the era of Isis, which was matriarchy and very women and feminine focused. And then we moved into the era of Osiris, which was the rise of patriarchy and the very masculine dominated. 
1904, when he wrote the Book of the Law, he was told in that channel document that we had just begun the aeon of Horace the child, who was more androgynous and more of a blend, and that this was more of an era of liberation and freedom and personal responsibility. Hmm. That hits like home so yeah. much. Cause yeah. like I, <laughs> while I am a devotee of the God, it's like, even my daughter is like, well, why does God have to have a gender at all? Because of yeah. God is infinite. Right. And I'm like, mm, yeah, no, yeah. totally true. And so that it's, it's really beautiful. Like, um, this this perspective of like completely all encompassing there can still be a um uh an archetype of such that has edges and has certain qualities but it's still like largely encompassing all of the experience human spiritual etc yeah yeah i, I think that's a great observation because non-binary people in particular struggle with god and goddess and so mm. You know, you mentioned Kabbalah, and in Kabbalah, we have sort of, there's the first emanation of God, which is what we would think of as like all that is. It's the pure emanation of just divine light. And then because God wants to understand itself, wants to know itself, mm. it's divides because the way you know what, you know, masculine is, is you have to have feminine to compare it to. And so the first emanation then emanates into God and goddess, and so you really have that triad. And um, when I did work with queer circles a lot, when we did Between the Worlds, we started out more traditionally Wiccan, invoking God and Goddess at the opening rituals and things. But we had a lot of heathens and a lot of people that that wasn't their path and it didn't speak to them. And so one of the things that we shifted was we began to invoke queer spirit as a non-binary like mm -hmm. deity that was the embodiment of all the positive aspects of queer people. Mm -hmm. That's so it's, good. <laughs> it's kind of a radical idea too. I mean, shifting from like traditional, um, like Western religion that has very specific rules, right? And then we expand out. Well, there, there's a goddess, right? There could be both God and goddess, mm -hmm. and then it's like you can you can approach the divine from however your perspective most aligns yeah. to serve you and the highest and greatest good for all, and that there's no gatekeeping. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I also think that people forget that all religion at some point was made up. And so religion to be, to be relevant to our lives, religion needs to evolve as we yes. evolve. And so, you know, the, a lot of us that are pagan or Wiccan, we, we worship the old gods, but we worship them in a new way. And we yeah. see them in a new way. Like the people who worshiped Hecate in ancient Greece probably really conceived of her very differently than the way we do today. And so our image of Hecate has has evolved and our practices have evolved and it needs to for it to be relevant to our lives other religion that doesn't evolve or change is dead mm -hmm. yeah beautifully said beautifully said so the first time that i was introduced to you sam knew you by way of house of om and sam and i were creating our first like the very first gathering that sam and i ever did and she you know, let me know that she wanted to invite you so that you could talk about the goddess Anana. So, yeah. and you are a priest of Anana. So can you tell me about your path of experiencing her and, and how that all came to be? Yeah, absolutely. So I always felt very drawn to the Sumerian um, mythology and particularly the goddess of Inanna, who was called the queen of heaven. And she was ultimately really a goddess of war and a goddess of sexuality but specifically, she was a goddess of, of love and sex, non-marital, so outside of marriage. 
So a very specific kind of image. But the thing that always interested me about Inanna was in the myth of her descent, when she goes into the underworld and is trapped there really by her sister, Rushkigal, She her handmaid goes to the different gods and says, you know, Inanna's in the underworld and can't come back and we need to rescue her. And most of the gods are like, that's a Rushkigal's world. We don't mess with it. You know, we're going to leave it alone. But when she goes to Inki, who is um, Inanna's grandfather, he gets very disturbed by the news and he creates two creatures from, the, it says from the dirt from under his fingernail, he makes these two beings and he gives them the food of life and the water of life and sends them into the underworld to rescue Inanna. And what's interesting is the Sumerians specifically say that these beings were neither male nor female. And the actual translation, according to um, scholars like Samuel Kramer, is that they were that it was a man woman is mm. the, the way the Sumerians phrase it. And so because Inanna historically also was served by a queer priesthood uh, that, you know, was a gender variant priesthood that. To me, Inanna felt like the first authentic mm. queer god, goddess, really. And wow. so she, she really spoke to me in that way. And when I was in my 20s and I initiated into the first esoteric order that I initiated into, Sumerian mythology was a really huge part of their of their rituals and their cosmology. And so it just sort of all came together for me. And mm. in my in my work as a Minoan and, you know, as a, as a witch earlier in life, it was really a Rushkigal that I worked with. I've always been more drawn to the dark goddess than to Inanna, but Inanna, I've kind of found that balance now where I kind of, Inanna and a Rushkigal are kind of my jam right now. Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. So kind of shifting focus as we um, get into the latter half of the podcast, we're going to start talking about the specific offerings that you're bringing to the temple. And I would like to start because when you talk about it, like you can see how giddy you talk about it or how giddy you are when you do. And I would like for you to discuss how you came to and how you want to move forward with human design. Absolutely. So human design is really something that I talk about a lot. And the way I came to human design is really interesting. When I was doing my certification work to become a spiritual life coach, I was in my advanced class and our instructor, Leah Grant, who's also a fantastic mystic and, and spiritual person and fantastic coach, she was our instructor and she dedicated one whole class to talking about alternate coaching ways and methods. And so she talked about things like somatics and NLP and just all these different modalities that different coaches are using. And one of the things she mentioned was human design and just something about it. You know, my, my human design is to respond. And there was definitely a response when she talked about human design. I was like, I have to know more about this. So I went and I took the first introductory class with the International Human Design School and their presentation didn't really speak to me. It was very dry and very like mental. And that felt not quite right to me. Mm. So I went and studied with another coach, Randy Lee, who did a program to learn to read human design charts and got a lot out of it really. But there was still like, I was like, there's still more here. There's still more that I need. So I went and worked with Karen Curry Parker and got certified in quantum human design. 
and I bought tons of books and I just started really digging into human design. I started following people online. I started doing chart readings for people and really incorporating it into my work. And then there came a point in the incorporating it in my work and following other human design people that I started to see a lot of things being said about human design. There's like, people are taking this really mentally, like they're trying to figure out their strategy. They're trying to figure out and think about, am I doing this the way my human design says I should do it? And people were starting to like on Instagram, share rules. Like if you're this type, you need to sleep this many hours. And it was very like cut and dry and black and white. And I was like, that's not human design. And I realized that a big part of human design is the somatic element that you can't really like you can study human design and understand it in your mind, like what the rules are and, and how you read someone's chart and what the types are. But to really live your strategy and your authority, you have to feel it in your body. Mm, that's beautiful. So you do talk about human design a lot in your podcast and through all of your various, um, your website, your Instagram. Could you give a brief understanding of what human design is? Yeah, so at the high level, human design is a is a system that in 1987 was, for lack of a better word, channeled. And human design basically takes astrology and Kabbalah and the I Ching and the chakra system and creates an energetic blueprint of your of the energetic design of your form of this container that sort of holds our spirit and moves us through life and. Human design says that in 17, I think it's 81 or 91, about 200 years ago, human beings evolved, went through an evolutionary process, and we actually have nine energy centers now instead of the seven chakras. And so human design is all about how do these nine centers work together? How are they wired together in our body? And how do we make the most aligned decisions for ourselves? you know, in our life by leaning into our design and really feeling our design in our body. Thank you. Yeah. And you're going to be teaching human design at the temple in April. Yes, I am teaching a three hour like introduction class. Basically, we'll talk about the, what all the center, the nine centers are, how it works and and type, you know, very introductory, but it'll be enough for someone to come away and be like, this is my type and this is how I need to sort of move through life. I also, um, I believe later in March, there's a waiting list for it right now. Um, but I think there's a few openings left. I'm teaching a 10 week, like deep, like for people who want to learn to be a chart reader and, and incorporate human design into their work the way I do. I teach that through Starseed Academy Coach Training. And you can find the information on that on my website. So you have a lot of other things coming up at the temple, like a lot, a lot, like literally a list larger than one page. So I don't even want to say chronological because I feel like we'll, we'll, we might miss things. But what I want to talk about next is the oracular ritual yes, and the yes. oracular ritual apprenticeship, because yes. everything in my body buzzes every time I think about it. <laughs> Me too. Me too. All right. So, so what do you want to, what do you want to talk about? about okay. It? So what is an oracular ritual? What can people expect if they come to the community gathering to create it? And then tell us about the apprenticeship. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So oracular rituals are basically trance-based rituals. And what I mean by that is there's 
all kinds of categories of these rituals. So the traditional Wiccan ritual where they draw down the moon, right? They, they call the goddess into the priestess's body and then she gives messages to the group as the goddess. That's an oracular ritual. Um, Norse seeth, where you, someone sits on the high seat and they get sung into trance and then they answer questions for the whole community. That's an oracular ritual. There's Celtic traditions of this, the Oracle at Delphi. Like there's all these traditions of having someone serve as a, a, an oracle where they sort of get into a trance state and they either shamanically journey to find the answers to the questions or they actually have direct spirit possession where they speak with the, the words of a deity or a spirit. That's basically an oracular ritual. So when people come to an oracular ritual, what they should expect is, you know, they're going to be seated for the ritual because they can be long. And there's going to be a person who's going to be veiled on a on an elevated bigger seat. And there'll be a guide sort of guiding them. So they'll know when to ask their questions and, and all of that. And there'll be people warding energetically so that it's a safe space and any like ill influences can't come in. And through drumming and singing and chanting and some guided path working, they're going to get sort of in a receptive state. And the person that's serving as the oracle is going to go into a trance. And then the guide is going to allow people to ask their questions of the oracle. And the oracle is going to either shamanically journey to find that answer, or they're going to directly be, you know, speaking through, you know, allowing a deity or something to speak through them. And they're going to answer those questions. Um, they're really powerful rituals. I've gone to, to many of them and I've participated in many of them um, at Between the Worlds, at Pantheacon, um, you know, different covens and groups that I've been in. So I've seen a lot of these. And the type of questions that people ask, they can ask personal questions, or like questions about the universe or like... It, any kind of question. Um, so obviously, you know, you want to avoid frivolous questions because mm -hmm. sometimes um, the spirits that do come through don't have a lot of patience for that kind of stuff. So it's not like, you know, test the oracle mm -hmm. time. Um, and people shouldn't ask a question just for the sake of asking a question, you know, because they want to. It should be something that's, that's meaningful to them, whatever it is, um, you know, and it could be about what's my next step on my path, or, you know, is there a particular deity I should work with, or, you know, those kinds of things. Hmm. Neat. Yeah. Okay, so then the apprenticeship. Tell us about the apprenticeship. Okay, so the apprenticeship is a year and a day long, um, and it's fairly intense. We're going to meet for three and a half hours every first Saturday, which is the day that we do the oracular community ritual. So before the ritual, we're going to meet to study. We're going to set up for the ritual, take a meal break, and then do the ritual, be in the ritual. And then we're also going to meet by Zoom for an hour and a half once a month. And then I'm also doing a one-on-one -on -one with the individual people. And this is basically, if you want to learn to do this, if you want to learn to sit in the high seat and go into this trance and shamanically journey and find these answers or have direct spirit possession and channel um, answers. If you want to learn whether you're a priestess who just wants to learn how to really like draw down the moon, whether you're a priest that wants to learn to draw down the sun, or you want to sit in a high seat with, and we're also going to talk about oracular ritual design. Like how do you develop an oracular ritual um, as an offering and all of it. So okay. it's going to be an intense process, but basically I'm going to take everything that I've learned from participating in these rituals and leading them 
over my 30 some years to basically pass on that knowledge so that other people can do these because I think they're really powerful rituals and they have a huge impact on the collective psyche of the people that participate in them. It brings the gods closer to us and makes them more mm. real in a very tangible way. And I just don't think that there's a lot of people, you know, Diana Paxson has been training people out in California for a number of years. She's written a number of books. There's some other practitioners also writing books and, but there's not, you know, there's really a need for people to do this deep work. And I feel like initiatory Wicca does some of this, but it's hard for people to find those. And there's not mm -hmm. everybody who wants to initiate into a particular tradition of Wicca. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we can safely teach people to do this deeper work. Um, and I want to create basically the, the container to do that. Yeah. I like that you also said specifically safely because we can read things all day long, but unless there are certain things that we absolutely, I truly believe that we need guidance to be able to facilitate these things with extreme caution and safety for everybody involved. So thank you for saying that. Well, yeah, and also, I, I, I've, yeah, safety is super important because you are dealing with, you know, allowing, allowing entities in to, you know, and channelers talk about this too, like, but sometimes I think there's sort of this Pollyanna, like, you know, just going to allow the best in and, but mm -hmm. there's, you actually need to know psychic self-defense and how to ward and how to actually energetically protect yourself. And so safety is a huge part. There's also the impact on the psyche of the people attending. And if you're inexperienced mm -hmm. and you do things in a wrong way, you can actually really like create trauma for people from this. Mm -hmm. I think it's so valuable because while there's a whole bunch of books, there's not a ton of like actual experience, like this information mm -hmm. being passed on from teacher to student to student mm -hmm. to student. And I feel like that's where like the real like grit and, and the somatic experience of it happens because you can, you know, read words, but that doesn't actually shift yeah. consciousness or shift the, the energy of your cells into a different way of being the way that right. an actual experience does. I agree. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of armchair, armchair magicians. Yes. They read a lot yes. of stuff, but the actual yes. like practice and I do it too. I read books and I get to the page where it's like, here's this exercise and I keep reading. Right. And I go <laughs> the exercise. like, I think we all do that, but it doesn't serve us to do that. No. And I also think that being a certified spiritual life coach gives me an extra element to my teaching because like with the one-on-ones, I'm going to be able to work with people like and really over help them overcome the blocks and the ways that they're getting in their way at really integrating this work. Yeah. The the oracular ritual starts in March and it's the first Saturday of the month every time and it starts at 7. Yeah, it's at 7. And then the apprenticeship starts in May. So we'll have 2 months of the oracular ritual and then the apprenticeship starts in May. Mm -hmm. right. And and like uh, Julian mentioned, it's a year long experience. Um, payment plans are available if you're interested. This isn't in person, so you have to be in the Dayton or the surrounding areas. But that also, like saying that, makes me extremely happy because the Midwest, where we're at, we need this kind of work because it's not um, available for everybody to be able to travel to California or to the coast of anywhere or to another country, right? And it's so important that these 
gatherings that can happen in person do happen in person and in, in spaces and places like, like ours. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the Midwest needs this yeah. really. Um, yeah, we, really we need do. to, we need to change the overall atmosphere, mm-hmm. both politically, spiritually in this area. Mm-hmm. And um, a really beautiful trans woman that that's local that I think you both know as well, Miranda, mm-hmm. once told me over a tarot reading that she had read something where Edgar Casey had said that there were going to be three hospitals of light in the yes. future and that one of them was going to be in Dayton. And so yes. I just love yes. that I'm doing this work here. Uh, you yes. know, I've, I've thought about moving before, but I just keep going, no, I need to stay here. I'm wearing <laughs> The very first time I met Miranda, she was over here. I was at a coffee shop and she was overhearing a conversation with ironically another Miranda, but she goes by Lady Mars. And when Lady Mars left, Miranda was like, uh, I just have to like talk to you. And then we talked for like two hours straight. And that's exactly what she said to me about the hospital light. And I was so yeah. excited. I was like, of course, Dayton, of course. <laughs> I love him. Well, you happened to mention um, just a few moments ago about and and also previously, but about being a spiritual life coach and you are offering a year long apprenticeship with spiritual coaching. So can you talk about that? Yeah. So I'm going to be teaching at the, at the temple, a year long certification program in spiritual coaching. Um, I'm calling it earth centered spiritual coaching because I'm going to pull a lot of like Wicca and goddess and, and nature stuff in. I've always prized myself on being very grounded and very centered. And when I was doing my studies as a coach, I was often complimented on how grounded and centered I was Mm -hmm. in my sessions. So I want to bring that to the coaching work. So this program is, you'll be certified, but you'll be certified by my company, by Priesthood and Anna LLC. It's not an ICF accredited program. So if you want to be certified by the International Coaching Federation, this Mm -hmm. wouldn't be the right program for you. I think for people who are doing a lot of this work, ICF certification may not be the greatest fit anyway, because it is um, geared very much towards corporate and organizational coaching. It's a very, you know, there's a lot of benefits to ICF certification, but there's also a lot of downsides, I think. And every person has to make their own decision on that. But I just want to be upfront that this isn't a path to ICF certification, but it is a fantastic opportunity for someone who's doing spiritual work or teaching classes, reading tarot, doing energy work to learn to really incorporate coaching into their work. And even though it's not ICF accredited, I will be basing this program on the ICF core competencies, which are the core skills that the ICF believes every coach needs to be proficient in to be effective as a coach. And I will be basing it on the ICF code of ethics. So it will be taught in alignment with ICF, even though it won't be ICF accredited. Hmm. Perfect. And I have to say, even if you're not intending to become a spiritual life coach as like a main, you know what I mean? Like career path, source of income, Mm -hmm. leading any sort of circle. There's been Mm. so many times where people say something and then I don't necessarily always feel equipped of like how to respond or like having the, the grace of having an entire year of like, this is how to coach through it. This is how to move through things gracefully and in a way that serves the other individual instead of traumatizing them is really it's I feel like it's something that um that the the spiritual community needs for sure in circles 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Integration yeah. is extremely important to me when it comes to many things come up in any circles, even if you're just going to a new moon circle to set the intention for the new moon, things can come up. And sometimes as a facilitator, like Sam said, something, an emotion is brought up completely raw and not knowing how to help that person at least make some decisions on how to integrate that into their life and just like leaving them to be cast to the wind. Mm-hmm. Bad news bears, yeah. baby, mm-hmm. bad news bears. I absolutely agree. Julian, would you remind me, this is, is this 26 meetings spaced out over 52 weeks? Like yes. we're meeting every yes. other week. Okay. I just wanted to, I, yeah. I was pretty sure that was it. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. It's every other week. And I think, I think all total you get 80 hours because your practice coaching is also counted in your hours. It's sort of traditional in coaching. And so you will be doing practice coaching with one of your peers in the class. You'll be coaching in class, you know, being observed. And then you'll also be as part of the program to get certified. You have to get, you know, a a certain number of practice clients and coach them for a a number of sessions. Um, Mm -hmm. So you're going to, and, and it doesn't matter if you do that paid or free, if they're friends, family, who they are. I mean, I usually recommend they not be friends, family, but mm-hmm. it can be. And even if you're not going to be a coach, this is also going to help you grow and like really accelerate your self-development too, because yeah. you're going to learn to self-coach because mm-hmm. self-coaching is a huge part of, you know, becoming a coach has helped me grow because I self-coach myself sometimes. So, yeah. and I will say that. I don't know how towards the beginning of your coaching career it was, but I did get the chance to be one of your, one of the people that you coached. And can I say that Julian is extremely good at setting the mirror right in front of you (laughs) and you're like, oh, oh, I see things. Okay. Sometimes it's just a simple question and you're like, wait, what? I never considered that. Actually, you were my one of my practice clients for my certification. Yeah, yeah, you were one of my practice clients for my to meet my hourly requirement to get my certification. Sam was as well, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if he was that good several years ago, just imagine with all the practice you said now. Yes. Speaking of which, so if you want to experience Julian's coaching, we have an opportunity at the temple. There's hot seat coaching, hot seat spiritual coaching that happens within the community. So, well, instead of me describing it, Julian, will you describe what that's like? Yeah. What that'll be? So so a hot seat coaching is exactly that. It's basically a a group coaching experience. Um, You show up, not everyone necessarily, there won't be time for everyone to get coached, but you often learn from hearing other people get coached through an issue. And I'll take a few topics from the audience and then basically coach them, um, coach them live. And we'll talk through whatever the topic is, where they want to get with it and coach towards a resolution, um, you know, in that setting. So it's only about two hours. So depending on how complicated some of the things are, we'll coach anywhere from, you know, four to eight people during that time. So, yeah. And even if you're not the person getting coached, observing other yeah. people having breakthroughs generally initiates some sort of soft breakthrough within, or maybe even a big one. Cause you're like, oh, it's sometimes a lot more powerful to see it externally, yeah. to hear somebody say something out loud that you said in your head, however mm-hmm. many times, and then have the external world respond to it. It's like, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't actually seem to fit in reality. I can, I can release that belief or I can release yeah. that, that pattern of behavior a little bit more easily. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And 
have have a journal, have a pen because thoughts and ideas and things are going to fall right out of you. <laughs> and Julian says so much. So yes. Good. Yes. I agree. Yeah. I'm definitely a talker. So, <laughs> and you're, but you're so I... good at it. You're so good at it. Yeah. There's just so much wisdom, so much information that I think yes. the, the world is desiring to hear. And so naturally it just pours right out. It's perfect. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I am really grateful that I'm grateful for many things. I'm grateful that a person with your lineage and your knowledge is wanting to share it with the world because there's plenty of people who that's just not their calling and that is okay. But somebody like you, I'm just so grateful that you're like, yes, let's let's start working together. Let's start figuring it out. I'm extremely grateful that you said yes to the temple on so many things. It makes mm-hmm. us really jazzed. And I'm I kept asking the universe for a new teacher and two of them fell right into the lap and Julian is one of them. And when I tell you, when he described the oracular ritual in general, and then talked about an apprenticeship, I, I almost lost my shit. Like, cause it was like, <laughs> yes, yes. The deep magic. Like, that's what I think I, I've been yearning for the most is understanding the deep magic. Everybody has to begin somewhere. And as long as you're, you're doing you'll, you'll continue to learn and develop your own practice and find out who you are as a practitioner and a person. Um, but it's so great to have really yummy teachers teaching you really yummy and wild things. So yeah. thank you. Yeah. And yeah. then the communities, that are, the communities that are created underneath oh the wings gosh. of teachers. Cause like Sarah and I, that's how, that's how we bonded and created a mm-hmm. relationship and started working together was through a training and through like this long-term, like deep dive into ourselves yeah. and into like what's possible, you know, in the outside world. Yeah. Magic yeah. is real people. Magic is real. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. And then I think the last thing that we haven't touched on, and I think that might be everything unless help me if I've forgotten is the manifestation series. And I think that's actually one of the next things that's coming up because it's it the is, beginning yeah. of February. Yeah. So that's six weeks. Okay. Julian, you take it. Manifestation. You're okay. So yeah, it's a six week program that we're going to meet every Tuesday night for six weeks for a couple hours. And this is a program that came out of work that I did with Ross Kincaid, another spiritual life coach. And we had a program called Abundantly Being, which was a abundance and manifestation program. But what was unique about it is we were like, why does law of attraction and manifestation not work for some people? What what is it that, you know, people read all the books, they do all the things and they get frustrated because it doesn't work for them. What's, What's getting in their way? That was our question that we sort of wanted to answer when we developed this program. And the answer was their mindset. You know, it's not like one negative stray thought derails the manifestation, but when you've got programmed unconscious beliefs, when you're running a script from a money story that doesn't support creating the abundance that you want to create. And, you know, in an introductory workshop that I did earlier at the temple, I said, your money story, a lot of it wasn't even written by you. It was, you know, Mm. watching your parents struggle with money. What did they say about money? And all of the, like all these other people have written your part of your money story. So this series is really about digging into what those mindsets are. You know, how are you using debt? Are you taking on more debt than you should? Are you even using it in a, in a wise way? What can you do to, to start to reverse that? Are you impulsive with your money? Are you stressed out and pressured? Do you feel a lot of pressure and stress? The big one is worthiness, of course, comes in around money and being open to receiving. So there's all these sort of 
issues that people have around money that we don't talk about because people don't like to talk about money. There's a lot of shame and guilt associated with money. So people don't talk about it and people are struggling with these things and it's preventing them from creating the abundance that they want in their lives. And so this program is really about, you know, the first day we're going to start by writing down your money story. You know, I've got a worksheet that's like, what did your parents teach you about money? What did, how did they act around money? Like these kinds of things. And we're going to start decomposing some of this. We're going to use some human design techniques to decondition the unworthiness and the stress and pressure. We're going to talk about um, talking about money, like the shame and the judgments around money. We're going to work on getting clear around debt and how you use debt. And if debt is a problem for you, all of these different things. And so it's part workshop teaching, part hot seat coaching approach. And um, the other sort of thing that I think makes this unique is that I'm a, a, a firm believer in non-localized co-creation, which is basically the way that groups of people create reality together. Mm. And so we're going to have manifestation partners that are going to help us because- um, Oh my gosh. Roz's, cool. Roz's <laughs> background comes from the church um, and in a particular black church, and they call it standing in the gap. When you like stand in the gap where someone can't be and pray and hold the space for them. And so that's Aww. what our manifestation partners are going to do where you're struggling with your manifestation. And maybe you can't believe that it can happen yet. Maybe your partner can believe oh, it can happen for you and beautiful. they can help you manifest it. That's magic right there. So beautiful. <laughs> that's exciting. I'm excited. <laughs> I feel like that's Sarah and I fall into that for each other all the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. Well, Julian, we're coming to the end. So I'll ask if there's anything else that you would like to talk about. And also where can people find you? Yes. So I want to talk about Terra Club because. Oh, yeah. Club awesome. is, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yes. So, thank you. So last year, I taught a seven-week series at the Temple Ontario, and Tarot Club is kind of the continuation of that work. So we meet every second Monday of the month um, at 7 to 8.30, mm-hmm. and basically Tarot Club is an opportunity to come and learn to work with tarot, whether you're a beginner or whether you've been doing it for a while. And basically, for the first 30 minutes or so, we talk as a group. I might teach on something. I might share a way to interpret the cards. I mean, sure, spread. We might just talk, whatever it is. And then we split into two, like 30 minute practice sessions and you read for someone and you get a reading from someone. And it's a great opportunity to really deepen your practice with tarot, whether you want to be a reader or whether you just want to use the tarot in your personal work. It's just a wonderful opportunity to really deepen that practice. And even beginners are coming and, you know, stumbling yeah. through, but giving readings and really becoming stronger readers. And, you know, one of the sort of success stories that I have about both the tarot class and tarot club is that one of the students from the tarot class who's been coming to every tarot club is going to read at the psychic fair and, and readers market that's coming up in February. And yeah. I'm just so like, I could be prouder or happier to see a student like I <laughs> yes. should go out there and be like, I'm ready to get paid to do this. Yeah. So yes. that's fantastic. And they're yes. good. They're really, they're really, really good. good. They yeah. are good. Yes. Yeah. They're so good. Yeah. So that's really great. So um, you asked where people can find me. So 
my main website where I do most of my spiritual coaching work, so it's primarily human design, spiritual life coaching, and spiritual business coaching, is www.priestofinana.com. Inana is I-N-A-N-N-A, so that's my main website. I also do coaching, um, spiritual life coaching, and the Sacred Kinship Community Building Program with gay and bisexual men at my other website, which is www.queerspirituality.net. And then you can find me on Instagram. My username is Priest of Inanna. I'm not super active on social media, but I do post, you know, once or twice a week, maybe. Um, so there's a lot of stuff there. And of course, I reshare stuff that the temple posts about things that I'm doing there. So you can <laughs> kind of follow that there as well. And then coming soon will be my more witchy website for people who are maybe newer to this path or starting to explore it called Myth and Magic. Um, so you know, watch for that. And if you follow me on Instagram, there will definitely be an announcement of that site on there. Perfect. And your we'll podcast. Have all of, oh, Did you yes, mention your yes. podcast, Julian? I have two podcasts. I have Answer Your Unique Calling, which is my podcast more around the spiritual life coaching and spiritual business coaching that I do. And then I also have Queer Spirituality, the podcast, which is my podcast um, even though I coach primarily gay and bi men, my queer spirituality podcast tends to be more collectively queer. Um, so yeah, check those out. And we'll have, we'll have links to all of this in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Awesome. He's a busy bee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a man a of busy generator. generator. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, awesome. how does everybody feel? Do we feel complete? I feel good. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Julian. Thank Perfect. you so much for having me. This is probably one of the f- most fun podcast interviews I've ever done. Oh, yay. Good. <laughs> Let my hair. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sweet souls. See you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>